this is Reverend Colette Duval Pondella. Welcome to our Wolf Wisdom Gathering in Nature's Classroom on Nature's Path. Joining me today is Kame. Kame means secret. She is a beautiful, shy, quiet, loving creature. She is our second highest pack ranking female. But sometimes, because of her shyness, she goes unnoticed often. And that's why I chose her today to talk about. Do you see me? And here we go. Okay, good morning. <laughs> Hi, you guys. This is Kame. Kame means secret. So the name of my talk today, inspired by Cheryl, who's going to uh, sing for us later, Cheryl Bain, it, it's Do You See Me? Do you see me? Now, Kame was the only puppy that we were not there for her birth. She came out about two and a half hours after I thought Alaska was done. <laughs> and you know you can tell because you see the movement in there. Do you know what I mean? It's like there was no movement for about an hour. And so I went and fed everybody else to take a break. And um, came back, and I'm counting. You don't know if you've ever had puppies in a, <laughs> or kittens or anything. <laughs> you constantly are checking that little thing and going, one, two, three, four, five, <laughs> to make sure they're all there and what's happening. And I knew there were six, and so it was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven. <laughs> and um, Paula was taking a nap. He went to bed because um, it was really, really, really late. And she had started labor, um, Alaska, at 12.30 that afternoon. And um, I think she had, um, I think Taya was the last one um, before Keme. And um, we just thought she was done. And six was enough, you know? And she was barely moving. And her mouth was going open and closed just very, very slowly. And she was using her feet, you know what I mean? It was like a little puppy in slow motion. And of course, I'm screaming for Paul, there's something wrong, there's a new one. <laughs> and he comes out and he resuscitates her. And he rubs her chest and he picks her up and he blows in her mouth. And she starts to stimulate and we're rubbing her and getting her warm and putting her next to Alaska. And um, I'm running to Walgreens for whatever they might have, because all of the rest of them are nursing, and she has no strength to get there. So I got some baby formula, some organic baby formula, and an eyedropper, and we fed her every hour and a half for the next day and a half. And the interesting thing is, you know how the um, mothers will push away the weak puppies? And... Um, Alaska never pushed her. Now, she couldn't get her to, you know what I mean, competing with the others to get to a nipple. But um, Kemi would try and get there. But it took a day and a half before she had the strength to get there and then that you could see that she was actually suckling. Do you want to go out? you want to go out? Good girl. Oh, good girl. <laughs> Relax. She's on a downstay. Good girl. So anyway, she made it. She made it. 
And she was the shyest, shyest, most sensitive thing. And she still is a shy, sensitive creature. Um, but the reason that her name is Kame, which means secret, is because I say she came secret in the night. <laughs> and she's so quiet. And the others are so, like, frantic. This is the one that climbs between your legs while the others are trying to get the attention. And you don't even know she's there because the rest are so frantically trying to get the attention, and she's found a spot where you can't miss her. <laughs> but she has this quiet nature that she can just kind of sneak in. You think you're petting Alaska, and the next minute you look down, and there's Kame. And there's Kame. So I'm going to talk about this today. You know, she um, it turns out, as shy as she is, that she ended up being the second highest pack-ranking female. The rest of them don't mess with her. And she does it kind of quietly most of the time. But when Alaska is not present, she gets really bossy. And I use that tone because she really gets like this low thing and it's like she tells them what for. <laughs> Otherwise, she doesn't say a peep. Even her howl is like a crazy little, oh, you know, really pulled back. Now, interestingly enough, we don't know, but um, she has two autoimmune disorders that possibly is a result of that. So if you see her eyes, she has steroids that she has to take every um, day. Um, it's called Panis. And then there's one that she has that um, basically her fingers don't, her toes don't attach to her toenails. So it's an autoimmune disorder. And then just last year, <laughs> she came up with this, her Ridgeback came up with this little cowlick. <laughs> she's got a little mohawk going on on her back. <laughs> and it just appeared when she's six. You know what I mean? When she's six-year-old, she's like, see me. I got a little mohawk, my little Native American wolf. So Elizabeth Gilbert says, to be fully seen by somebody then and to be loved anyhow, this is a human offering that can border on the miraculous. That's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to take this off, Kami girl, and you can go wherever you like in this room. You want to stay with me? You can stay with me. Good girl. Nice job. So we're going to start with our opening meditative prayer. So everybody just sit in their chairs. Let the chair hold you. Mother Earth has the chair. You can't fall, so you can just let everything go. Hang out with these wolves.
<laughs> Here's what I know. I know that there is a creative intelligence, a magnificence, a power, whatever you call it, whatever feels comfortable to you. I call it God. Native Americans call it the great mystery. Whatever you call it, the higher power, it is the creator of all things seen and unseen. And we are made of this magnificence. Everything you see or don't see in this universe, we are part of it and made from it. Every single element in our bodies connects us to each other and every living thing. And I know that we are all here on purpose, that there is a divine purpose that you are here to serve and that your heart's desire leads you in that direction and that there's inner wisdom that tells you what you need to do, where you need to go, and what is right for you at all times. Despite appearances to the contrary, anywhere, those outside forces cannot touch that place in you that is divine. And so I'm really grateful for this knowledge. I'm grateful for the knowingness. I'm grateful for all the good that has come to me from this creative source before now, right now, and in the future, and into eternity. Because I don't end. I don't believe we end. We're just a, a living beingness. And we make many travels and many journeys. But in this place, we can be seen. In this environment, we can be seen. We are tangible. We have form. A living, breathing, tangible, touchable, magnificent creation. And so I release these words knowing that they are true. There is universal truth to them, that we are all held in the hands of this grace, this grace, this loving energy that created us for this divine purpose that only you uniquely can serve. No one else on the planet has what you have and your gifts that you bring to the table unconsciously or consciously. And it is beautiful. And so it is. Aho, as the natives say. Oh. Laura Whitcomb says this, I studied a crescent moon hung crooked in a plum purple sky and thought about what it would be like to truly be seen. You know the things that we study? For those people who are really detail-oriented, that go looking at things and seeing them. There was a woman here last week and she, <laughs> she was new, but um, she, she was new to our, um, our gathering. And um, she came to me afterwards and she goes, they're everywhere, they're, they surround you. And of course, you know, that was a little woohoo for me because I didn't know what the they were. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? She goes, but they're everywhere, they're everywhere. And I go, um, what's, what, what, what they? <laughs> and she goes, the wolves in the wood the wolves in the wood. So this woman has ability to see, I see a bear, <laughs> now that I'm looking. And they, I have to concentrate to see the images. But then her husband told me, show her your clouds. And she's showing me clouds. And she goes, do you see the, the, the wolf? And I'm like, 
oh my God, <laughs> it took me, you know what I mean, to see, she sees all of them. And then I took her through the um, cottage that we have that um, we rent out. And there's a picture in there of uh, a beautiful area that I loved in Central Park when I lived in New York. And she goes, oh my gosh, look at all the wolf. I'm like, I've had this picture for almost 20 years. <laughs> And there's a little wolf here, and there's a big wolf there, and then I spotted my, on my own a little black wolf, and then two days later I brought Mary and Antoinette in to show them the wolves, and it turns out there's a whole pack of black wolves in that just little corner, if, you're, if you see. So she has this gift that she sees in abstract what we're not, what's not visible to us. And, she, and it's this amazing thing that wherever she looks, she sees animals, mostly wolves, which drew her here. And now I'm looking for the wolves in the woods. <laughs> and would we look at each other this way? Do you know what I mean? To see more of each other. Hi, come on in. <laughs> so to see each other in this way that we have this where we have to look beyond just the image we see you know there was no way when Kami was growing up that we would know that she because of her behavior and because of the way she looked because of her experience of nearly not making it in the world there was no way that we could see that she would become the second highest pack ranking female. And yet, if you look a little closer and has she revealed herself, that's what would happen. Go say hi. Hannah Kent says, how hidden the heart, how frightened we are of being known, and yet how desperately we long for it. In this world and the culture and everything that we experience, that outside stuff, first thing we do is close our heart off to, off to getting hurt again and getting hurt again and getting hurt again. To a point where you have no clue whether or not anybody's going to hurt you or not going to hurt you. <laughs> you know? And so what do we do? Do we hide our hearts? Do we hide ourselves? I've talked about this before to some people, but when I was eight years old, I decided to be invisible. And I could actually really literally do it on some level. I could be in a group in a room and nobody would know I was there. Or at least I could make it feel like I wasn't present. And I lived that way for a long time. I stopped talking so nobody would notice. I stopped asking, answering questions in school. And then I found myself, you know, going through a divorce when I was 24 years old and I was by myself and I had to either speak <laughs> or not make it, you know? So I had to come out of my shell. And then I got a taste of more of what life is about, you know? And then I started to long for more. But it took me that whole span of time from the time I was eight years old to the time I was 24 years old to come out again. And I'm coming out with the most broken heart that I can remember. 
because I trusted again and it didn't work out. So I had to step out with a broken heart to learn to live again, <laughs> to live on my own terms, to raise myself again. And I'm probably not alone in that. Or maybe you've had two or three years of that. Or maybe you had about a six-month to three-month period of that in your life where it took you time to recover enough to go out and do this divine thing that you're supposed to do. This is an unknown person who said this. You sometimes think you want to disappear, but all you really want is to be found. But you want the right person to find you. <laughs> you want the right heart to find you. You're seeking your own clan, you know? They have a pack, you're seeking your own, you know, person. If you watch <laughs> Grey's Anatomy, you're my person. We're all looking for our people and for our person that is not gonna do to us what has been done to us. Virginia Satir says, I believe the greatest gift I can conceive of having from anyone is to be seen by them, heard by them, to be understood and touched by them. The greatest gift I can give is to see, hear, understand, and to touch another person. When this is done, I feel contact has been made. It's all we want is to connect. <laughs> you know, we want to be seen, we want to be touched, we want to be heard, we want to be known. And really the only way to do that is to live your divine self to share your talents and gifts with whomever it lands <laughs> correctly on or properly on. And the rest, you know what I mean? They have another person that will give them the gifts that they need. I had a cat. Her name was Maggie the cat. <laughs> if anybody knows cat on a hot tin roof. <laughs> That's who I named her for. She was a beautiful calico cat. Gorgeous barkings. And um, I moved to an apartment, and I'd never really had a kitten before, so I went to the vet, and I said, when do I spade her? Because I didn't want kittens, and he said, not till eight months. What he didn't realize, what I was asking, is how do I keep her from having kittens? Because they really recommended that they have one heat before they spayed them. So when I got her, I moved to an apartment and I wanted to see if she wanted to be an indoor cat or an outdoor cat. Uh-oh, is right. <laughs> so all of a sudden, she's not getting bigger as a cat, just one part of her is expanding. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, you are not. And she just keeps getting many. Oh my gosh. <laughs> because I should have known, and I did. I was in a bit of a denial. I did it with Alaska too. Is she, isn't she? Is, it, is she, isn't she? <laughs> After the one time she was out. You know, I should have known because the only time she wanted to be out was just for a couple of days, and then she came back in, and she never wanted to go out again. So that's what my cat was telling me. Right? So I could tell when she was going to have them, have her kittens, because I had this cabinet, which is where I hid my dirty clothes. You know, the I had one cabinet in like a little hallway before I get. So I just took all my dirty clothes out 
except for some towels that I didn't mind getting, you know, because I knew that's where she wouldn't want to have her, her babies because that's where she would go when I wasn't home. So I'd come in the door and she'd come out of my dirty clothes. <laughs> anyway, I was absolutely right. And she had her kittens and I watched them and the first one was Breach. Little tails <laughs> sticking out, I'll never forget. And she was pushing and she was pushing and I didn't know what to do. And of course, in my life and in these guys' life, it's always like two o'clock in the morning or on a Friday night, do you know what I mean, where nobody is available and you can't take them anywhere. <laughs> and luckily I had started, you know, working with this idea that we have energy, that we can talk energetically. And I got somebody, I got an intern on a phone at an animal hospital and she's like, whatever you do, don't do this. And I go, that's not what I'm asking for. <laughs> I'm asking for what I do. And she goes, well, I don't have much information for that. <laughs> it was just more of what not to do. So I hung up the phone and I went and I started stroking her belly. I was just stroking her belly and I said, let it go. Just let it go. I don't even know how long it took and all of a sudden, plop. <laughs> Out comes this cat that I named Gemini. And Maggie was so tired. She didn't start, you know how they start doing the umbilical cord and they start doing and licking the, um, the you know, the, the amniotic fluid in the sac and everything. Um, and I'm just reliving this as I'm talking to you. And uh, she wasn't moving and she, neither one of them were moving. And I just kept taking her collar and putting her nose on. Um, Gemini, and I just got, and finally she started to get the energy and what she needed to do. So now she had these other beautiful things, and you know, just as a premonition, she had one that I kept. His name was um, uh, um, Gremlin. <laughs> He'd get so excited when he was a puppy when he saw me. <laughs> He'd get a smile, and you know those baby teeth, milk teeth that they get, and every single hair on his whole body would stand up, and he looked like a little gremlin, and he would run towards me. And he had a glow about him, and he was the same color as Dakota. Same exact white and beautiful orangish kind of tan. It was golden, beautiful beauty. And of course, all the rest, you know, I wasn't as connected to. And then um, I was watching Gemini as she grew up. Now, pretty soon, the uh, hamper was no longer big enough for all of the puppies. And so Maggie moved them to my closet. <laughs> and you know, I, it was, you know those walls with, in apartments with those big, heavy sliding doors? Do you know what I mean? I had them shut tight so that she couldn't get in there. That little cat was no bigger than this, and she, in the middle of the night, opened that door and got every single um, kitten into that closet, except for Gemini. She left her behind. So, of course, I got her out and put her back. <laughs> like that was gonna Next night, she got them in to the closet again, and I go, okay, this is where you're going to live. All right, fine. So... I took Gemini and put her in with them. 
And then pretty soon they got big enough, right? And then um, I would feed them in the kitchen and you would see them come out of the bedroom and they'd come through and they would go along the side of the wall. This is what Gemini would do to get to the kitchen. Whereas all the other kittens would come running through the living room to get to the food. And Gemini would take this little root against the wall of my apartment and eat last. Of course, you know, as I'm witnessing this, <laughs> this happening, I'm seeing my childhood in front of me through this kitten. And I'm a Gemini, by the way. <laughs> and it wasn't even, that wasn't even my conscious. I just thought she was like an, uh, I, it, Gemini came from a gemstone because the gemstone, they're all isolated and all totally different and all unique. And so I named her Gem, and which ended up being elongated to Gemini. And so of course people would come and they took all the kittens Nobody wanted her. Nobody wanted her. And at this point, you could barely get near her or touch her. Right? She didn't like to be touched. It's kind of like an autistic kitten. And um, I thought, well, I'll just keep her because at least she has Maggie and she has Gemini. I mean, she has Gremlin. And um, I would come into the house and she would see me and then kind of hunker down with it like you just saw coming. Whereas Gremlin would be like all over me, and <laughs> so would Maggie. And then the first thing I would do, because it was late at night, this was when I was waiting tables, I'd go wash my face. Um, but then, before I went to wash my face, I forgot this part of the story, which is the point. I would go and I would love on her, whether she liked it or not. She hated it. It was like, oh God, don't touch me. And then she would run away. And about nine months old, I walked in the house, I did the whole process, and I went to wash my face, and she jumped up on the sink and sat next to me. <laughs> and I thought, oh, wow, this really works. You know, being seen really works. <laughs> you know, touching and loving on, whether they want it or not, really works. But nine months, she was nine months before she'd let me touch her and like it. And even then, I kind of washed my face and dried it, and I'm like, hi. <laughs> and then I went to pat her on the back, and she's like, oh, yeah, still not good. <laughs> but she didn't run. So she got better and better and better. And there was another cat that I actually rescued, not a rescue, but a, I adopted, because um, she was a kitten that was rescued by, this is a, like a long story, my ex-boyfriend's girlfriend. And then she adopted a baby from China who was allergic. And she had this great cat that she called Harley. It was a guy who was very friendly. And this cat, Casey, she didn't even name it. It was Casey for kitty cat. Because she never, like, you know what I mean? The cat never responded to her. So it was kind of like Harley's friend. And she did the same thing like Gemini. She came, do you know what I mean? That she would hide from people and nobody ever touched her. So she's five years old. And I'm asked, will you take her? Will you take her? Oh my God. And then I came and got her and she came to the house. I had a cat named Cleo who hated her because she had to share with her. <laughs> but they figured it out, right? And the first night that she, she was with me, she climbed underneath the, you know, the, she made a hole in that bottom layer of your mattress, you know? <laughs> and she climbed in there. 
And she was in there for three days, you know? Wouldn't come out for food. So I was slipping food. I'm climbing under my bed, slipping food <laughs> into this, you know, piece of cloth that is, you know, she found a hole and got in there. And I go, we can't live like this, Casey. It's not going to work. So I took the scissors, I climbed under my bed, and I cut the whole thing out so she couldn't climb in there anymore. And I had to go and get her every day, only it was a slower, it was not as slow as nine months with Gemini. You know, I'd had to go and grab her from under the, the bed and pick her up and love on her. And then Cleo, who was a beautiful black cat, but she was kind of like a wild thing and she didn't like to cuddle. But Casey ended up liking to cuddle. So when I was in my, my chair or I was on my couch, she would come and she would be the lap cat. And once again, I was like, wow, this stuff really works. <laughs> Seeing them and doing it. And she's five years old before she has human contact of any kind that is loving by the person who feeds her every single day. Jeanette LeBlanc says, I see you flawed and humble and road-weary and proud and still, in spite of the deep ache, somehow, sure, you've done all you can. There's not a person in this room that hasn't done all they can. I know it in my heart and in my bones. Not just because you're here for some spiritual food or some <laughs> spiritual teaching or for some great words, you know what I mean? It's because if you're sitting here, you've done something to get here in this place. And so you've done what you could. And there's just, as long as you're here, there's going to be more. And then you get a choice if you want to be conscious about how you're going to participate in your own life and what you're going to bring to the table with your gifts. Do you know what I mean? Of how consciously you're going to do that. How consciously you're going to love. How consciously, if you want to be seen, that you have to see. How consciously you want to be present with who you really are. Virginia Satir says this again. I am me. In all the world, there is no one else exactly like me. Everything that comes out of me is authentically mine because I alone choose it. I own everything about me. My body, my feelings, my mouth, my voice. All my actions, whether they be to others or myself. I own my fantasies. I own my dreams. I own my hopes, my fears. I own my triumphs and my successes, all my failures and mistakes. I own it all. I take responsibility for my uniqueness. And that means you have to take responsibility for all of it. And that's not to be a punishment. That is not to say, do you know what I mean? That there's this good in you and there's this bad in you. And yet this is even the religious and governmental bodies that have raised us to believe that you're either good or you're bad. And the bad should be punished. When you're just doing the best you can to make it through this world and traverse whatever comes your way, you know? We're all trying to do the best. We're all trying to do the best we can. Michael Tyler, think how lucky you are that the skin you live in so beautifully holds the you who's within. But most of us, if we were Kame at six years old, is what is this on my back? 
<laughs> what has happened to me? I can't go out in public like that. You know, this is how we talk to our physical selves, right? Her eyes are a little distorted. One eye looks different than the other. Am I going to wear sunglasses the rest of my life? So that nobody sees the flaws in me, even the physical flaws that we're taught to be ashamed of, to not show in public, so, you know what I mean? So that we go into hiding and not see them. In my opinion, in my humble opinion, there's way too much cosmetic changeovers that are scary than what you, what you have naturally, authentically. But we live in a culture that makes us want to change our physical appearance because it's no longer acceptable on some level. Akshay Vasu, please, for all of these people who I quote, <laughs> out there, if I mispronounce your name, I am humbly sorry and I apologize. But of all the places I have been, your mind is the most beautiful place I've ever seen. You know we are our minds, not our brains, you know? Our minds are what creates our reality. And that in a lot of um, spiritual um, teachings is that that's where we're all connected, is in one mind, this mind of God or the great mystery or whatever. This, this is where we're connected. And why being a secret, you, if you have no words, you know what I mean, like those years that I didn't speak, your words are your thoughts that land in form. There's a reason why I use quotes. It's a reason why you respond to them so well. There's a reason why they resonate with you. Because the same mind, you know, sometimes after these talks, I get people who are new coming. It's like I woke up this morning and you heard me <laughs> and said exactly what I needed to hear. I'm only saying exactly what I need to hear today. Otherwise, I would have no information. I'm not here to teach you something that I don't know, right? or that you should know. I'm here to teach myself again and again and again and again and share it with you. <laughs> and if you resonate with that, then that's great. If you don't, then I'm not doing my job. But we're meeting in the same mind. The reason it sounds good to you is that it's universal, that you're experiencing this on this level. So every time you have a thought and it comes out in a word, you have just manifested your thought in form. That's when they say, write it down. It's the same thing. You get a word on a piece of paper, it is now in form. Your ideas are in form. Cheryl's poetry that comes out in song because she's an original songwriter unless she sings it or writes it down and puts down the musical notes, it's just a part of her being that is not being shared. Same thing with um, your art. You get an inspiration. If it does not come out of you in color and palette and on a canvas that makes it whole and real for us to see, then, then the gift stays in you and doesn't get shared. And so we communicate with this mind of ours. 
And that's where the beauty is, is in your mind. Not in the makeup you put on in the morning. And for you guys, it's not in the haircut, you know? Or whatever. <laughs> whatever it is, that, you know, it's not in the goatee. It's not in whatever, you know what I mean? Those are very good expressions of your individuality, but it's not about that. It is your mind that is bringing you together with all of us. A.J. Darkholm says this, there is immense power in an idea because it unites people. It motivates them towards change. But the real power lies in their unity in coming together. If enough can be rallied to a cause, no matter how ridiculous, it will be seen and heard. Now, you may not re resonate with the ridiculous ones. Do you know what I mean? But you're going to resonate with the ones where this is where your connection is. This is where your gifts can be shared. I cannot tell you how many times in my life that I've tried to join this group that I knew was ridiculous in the first place, or at least to me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because this group was viewed a certain way where I might be seen in a way that I could be shamed or called out on. And what's the matter with you? And what are you doing? You got me? And it's not that they're bad. I just called it ridiculous because of the quote. But they're living their uniqueness and we're living our uniqueness, wherever it is that you choose to go. Susie Kasem says, your heart has a powerful little antenna and it pulses and vibrates and the vibrations can be felt throughout the universe. We've talked about this. Your DNA never leaves and it resonates no matter where you are. For those of you who weren't here before, they didn't experiment. I'm going to say it again because it just really is phenomenal. They took a piece of a DNA, put it in the next room, and give you, gave you emotional stimulus and kind of turned you on and turned you off, and your DNA under a microscope was responding in kind. And then they took it 50 miles away, <laughs> and they did the same thing, and it did the same thing. So no matter where you are, no matter what you've left behind, no matter who your children are, no matter what vibrations... Do you know what I mean? This energy field that you have, the scaling of your skin, the hairs you leave behind in the grocery store and off your jacket are resonating your vibration and the rest of the universe. And who even knows? There's no way to even measure how much impact that is having. Of course... <laughs> Can't help but laugh. But my parents are resonating with my DNA. <laughs> and I'm resonating with theirs. <laughs> but my brothers too and my cousins. It's all connected. It's all connected. It's a little scary thought. A little scary there. Galileo Galilei. All truths are easy to understand once they are discovered. The point is to discover them. Now, for those of you who don't know who Galileo Galilei is, he basically was the first astronomer. And he lived 
the rest of his entire life once he came out in a religious community, which was the science of the day, and said his findings. And that the earth was not the center of the universe. And they asked him to recant, and he didn't. He basically lived under house arrest for the rest of his life because he said, no, I have discovered this truth. And it is counter to your truth. And for some reason that threatened the world. And there's a lot of truths that we don't even know yet. But when they're discovered, we should at least look at them. We should at least take a look like that woman who was just observing the crescent moon against the purple sky. We should take a look. We should see if it's true, rather than deny it because it doesn't work for you. Remember the amygdala? <laughs> I'm not going to go into that lesson again. But for those who I brought it up, so I have to, your amygdala, that's your lizard brain, that's your fight-fright thing, right? responds to new information that challenges your belief system as though there's a bear in your living room. And that is going to eat you and that you really literally get that terrified with new information that challenges your current belief system. It's an amazing thing that we have innovation at all under those circumstances. Think about it. But enough people who say it's an elephant when you're looking at a mouse and they go, no, 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 it's not a mouse, it's an elephant, you know? How many people have to see an elephant before you're no longer seeing a mouse? And for me, you know, it's not seeing every snake as a rattlesnake that I have to run from. Because it's the same thing. Because I'm not seeing reality when I'm seeing a gopher snake and I'm seeing a rattlesnake, live and well, coiled and rattling with the big head, which is what happens to me. And so now with every snake, I have to really like coil back myself and go, what kind of snake is it <laughs> until I see the reality? And I have to consciously do that because I know my MO. I know my MO. Whether I like it or not, whether I'm ashamed of it or not, it's just a reality. So especially with certain things, certain belief systems, I gotta check myself every single time and go, hmm, <laughs> is this a universal truth? Do you know what I mean? Or is this my fear? Is this my block, you know? And then go into the abyss of this unknown and also embrace that there's newness out there. There is newness and discovery and discover it. You know, the Native Americans with the painting of the faces, you know how you've seen all the movies with <laughs> where they just paint them all the same and they go out there. Um, every single color in um, the Native American culture has a meaning. And every single native was allowed to show their gifts through this painted face. So basically, just the way we put makeup on or we you know, do our hair to make ourselves, this is me, and put ourselves out there. They were putting on colors and creating their mask, 
create their face paint to show the rest of the world and their community their gifts. Now, you know that losing face idea that mostly comes from uh, Japan, I think. Um, if you were putting on colors that the rest of the tribe knew you did not have those qualities, then they knew they then they did not trust you. Because living as a tribe or living as a pack, they depend on you to show up as who you are with the gifts that you have. Otherwise, they can't trust you. You know, imagine a culture where you have to show up as you or it's not accepted. <laughs> Instead of a culture where you have to show up and try to look like everybody else so that you fit in. And so they were actually punished and admonished for putting on colors that were not something and part of their gifts that they could share with the community. And, it, you know, there's warriors in them. Do you know what I mean? When they put on their war paint, it was another face. Do you know what I mean? That was the face to frighten the enemy with yourself, with your strengths, with your power. But still, it's with your power, the part that you own, the part that belongs to you. And they had a different face paint for ceremonies, which was to reveal your inner beauty. When they were doing these ceremonies, then you painted to reveal yourself. You know what I mean? Where you didn't have to be scary, but that this was your spiritual gift. This was your divine purpose. Had a different paint altogether. Everybody's talents in a native tribe were considered communal property. Right? <laughs> so Cheryl's going to sing, and that's her gift. But it belongs to all of us. That idea, do you know what I mean? That I get up here and talk. This is my community. It belongs to everybody. Whatever it is that you bring to the table belongs to everybody. Instead of like, this is mine, you can't have it, and then you have to pay me a certain thing, and if I feel you're worth it, then maybe you get to, you know, a little bit of me that I can shine on you. Right? This is how we live. This is how we live. Not because, not because we want to, but because that's what's acceptable. That's what we've been domesticated to do. Anyway. Here's another one of those names. I apologize. Sunday Adelaha says this. The mentality of a believer is a mentality of a person who believes in the victory already provided by God, even if it cannot be seen now. What else is faith? You cannot take a leap of faith and go into and jump into your gifts and shine them and do whatever it is that you do on the planet without knowing that somehow, you know what I mean, it's going to land someplace right. And someplace that is a gift. Tracy Bond says, I believe that beauty is something that can be felt in as much as it can be seen deep below sight's surface. The supernatural way those who are pure in heart can divinely touch their dream. 
some people see that energetic heart in you. Some people see those auras. Some people can see the energy, like that woman can see the wolves in the wood, you know? Even if you can't see it, you've been giving your gift since you've been alive in many, many ways. And you should congratulate yourself for that. You don't have to see your inner spirit and your inner light in order to participate. But it just is better for you and everybody else if you get conscious about it. You know? Like today, I'm going to use my talent and I'm going to use my uniqueness and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to let it happen. <laughs> and see, either somebody will hear it or they won't. Somebody will see it or they won't. But it's not gone. It's in me. You may not see it. Somebody else may not want to recognize it. But you don't disappear just because you want to. You're here. You can feel it. Pinch me. <laughs> Pinch yourselves. Lori DeShane says, today, if you feel like you're not being seen, ask yourself, what am I passionate about and how can I use that passion today to be the person I want to be? If you're hiding, what are you passionate about? Go do it. The ravens will see it. The wolves will see it. There was a bald eagle here this morning. They'll see it. You know? They'll get it. You live in a vibration. We all live in this vibration. Rachel Naoma Remen says this. Being safe is about being seen and heard and allowed to be who you are and to speak your truth. <sighs> I don't think when you're hiding, do you know what I mean, that that's your truth. And that it is not safe to hide who you are. Because you forget who you are. And you forget who you can be safe with. And then you get hurt all over again. Do you know what I mean? Because you didn't feel safe enough to be who you were. I was thinking about this, you know, most of my life. The reason that I met Paul is because I decided to see how someone made me feel instead of how I felt about them. I spent my whole life worrying about how I felt about them instead of paying attention to how they made me feel because I didn't count. I didn't count. Only how I felt about them counted. And then they would see who I was. And then I would give my heart to them. And then they would know. Not counting at all how they made me feel. Which was usually like I felt about myself. My belief system about myself is though I didn't matter. And so those were all my relationships until I decided, you know what, I think I need to meet somebody who... Um, makes me feel good. It took me 52 years. <laughs> Which is really not funny, but it did. It took me 52 years to ask that question of myself. And that's when I knew something that had shifted in me, in my spiritual practice, in everything that I've been doing, is because all of a sudden I mattered to myself. I mattered how I felt about how somebody was treating me for the first time in a very, very concentrated way. Ralph Waldo Emerson says, 
The mind, once stretched by a new idea, never returns to its original dimensions. So once I experienced someone, do you know what I mean, that cared about me, cared about my safety, helped me, do you know what I mean, loved on me, told me so, was honest with me, you can't put that back in a box. Even if it hadn't worked out between us, my standard and my level had completely shifted. So I couldn't go back to what was. I couldn't go back to that other thing. You can't put it back in a box. You can try. But now you know better. Now you know better. And now no one's hurting you. You're injuring yourself. Amy Lee McCree says this. Every single person is sacred. It's Wakan who's been howling in the background all this time. And his name means sacred. Every single person is sacred. Sacred means special, precious, a treasure of true beauty. That means you. That means you. So I'm going to ask Cheryl Bain to come up, and she's going to sing her song that she wrote, and it's called Your Broken Heart. So you guys welcome her. Your broken 
Okay, so I'm getting into the song, and I'm looking at the wood. Chinoa, who is not injured, is all over the bottom of this wall. <laughs> Can you see her here? Can you see her from your point of view? I might have to go back here to see a little... Kame, I know I said your name. Good girl. Nice job. I actually see you in there, too. But I have to go sit. She's right here. This is Kami. It's just that ma mask. Come. Good girl. Oh my goodness gracious. I know. Thank you, sweetheart. That was amazing. Oh my goodness. Jeanette LeBlanc says this, I see you. <laughs> I see you beneath the surface. I see your untamable wild. I see your billowing heart. I see you unshed tears and your not yet dreams and your devotion to spirit. I see you howl at the moon and call the ocean home and ground to earth and grow taller than trees. I see you. You are not alone. You are not invisible. You are seen. You are seen. You are seen. And my God. You are beautiful. <laughs> Namaste, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you like what you heard and you think it is of benefit to you and with others, please share this podcast with your friends and your family. Also like us on Facebook at Wolf Wisdom Gathering and Shadowland Foundation. Um, you can also check out our website at shadowlandfoundation.org, and um, we appreciate any donation that you would like to share with us. They are all tax deductible, so please help us. That would be great. Have a blessed, blessed week, and we'll talk then. And what would